Uh, today, as we get ready to dive into God's Word, uh, again, uh, my name is Pastor Dennis, and uh, I'm filling in for our lead, who is squeezing in his last little bit of vacation uh, over this, uh, this weekend. But as we start, we want to ask uh, a heart question. And of course, I'm not speaking of the physical heart. Um, when we use the word heart, we're referring to, you know, those attitudes and those, that purpose and that will that defines who we are as a person. It's kind of our inner uh, being, who we truly are. And we want to be asking heart questions regularly because what is true of the heart is foundational to what is true for the person. Uh, in speaking about the hearts of his people, uh, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15, verse 11, that it's not what goes into a man's mouth that makes a man unclean, but rather what comes out of his mouth. He's referring to what is true of the inner person, of, of the heart. And our current sermon series, as you know, is Stay Positive. It's really a series about our hearts. And it's a series that in different ways asks if our hearts are in the right place. In our heart of hearts, we've been asking... Are we confident? Are we optimistic? Are we generous? Are we grateful? Are we positive about life because of the God that we serve and the way that he works in our lives? And so we're going to ask that question again in another way today. And uh, the question that uh, we want to ask this morning is, are you enthusiastic about life? Would you say that you are an enthusiastic person. When you got up this morning, were you, did you get up ready to charge into the day? All our morning people here probably would say yes, but maybe the others would not. Were you ready to take on whatever was, was going to come? Uh, did you have a, a positive spirit towards uh, what you could expect? Um, were you, are you an enthusiastic person? Now, enthusiasm can be a little bit of a vague concept, so maybe it will help us understand what enthusiasm is uh, by explaining what it is not. Uh, this summer, uh, my wife Diane and I traveled to Calgary to visit with uh, our daughter and her family, including our two grandchildren. And uh, after spending some time with them, we decided we were all going to head back and they were going to spend some time with us in Abbotsford. Now, on the way back, uh, we made it as far as Kamloops, and the two little ones, our grandkids are, the oldest is going to be three in about a week, and the other one is a year and a bit. Uh, they had decided they had enough. <laughs> and so the parents had said, you know, we're not going to make it to Abbotsford, so we're just going to find a place in Kamloops, and um, we'll take a rest, and we'll join you later. So um, the new the new way we do things now. My daughter got on her phone in the car. She found an Airbnb. She, she um, uh, reserved it, and they decided that they were going to stay uh, there for the night. And we decided, Diane and I decided we would press on. They had the family dog with them, so we took the dog with us, and we would head on to Abbotsford, and they would join us later. Anyway, we were helping them get set up in this Airbnb, and um, our, our youngest granddaughter, the one that's a little over one, was just kind of wandering around the house and exploring and seeing what was there. And uh, I remember seeing her from the hallway, and 
she was in one of the bedrooms, and she looked at me, and I looked at her, and without a word, she reached over and grabbed the door and swung it shut. Now, that's not unusual, because she likes to play that game. She likes to do that with the door. But what we didn't realize was that the previous tenant had left the lock on the door, and we did not have a key. So, as you can imagine, we, we kind of had a bit of a frenzied panic there for a second because here's our little one-year-old in this bedroom. We don't know what she's going to get into. We're not sure what's in there. The door is locked. We have no way of getting in. And so uh, to say that we were enthusiastic in that moment to get into that room is an understatement. We, we wanted in there, and I, I wasn't sure what we were going to do. I had visions of kicking the door down. And uh, my son-in-law is a pretty big guy, so I wasn't too worried about that. But, you know, this is kind of what was going through my head in the immediate moment. But fortunately, cooler heads prevailed. We, somebody got the idea of trying to get in the bedroom from the outside. It was a main floor bedroom. And uh, this house was probably built in the 1920s. And so it had the old-style storm windows on it. And fortunately, I think it was just the paint that was holding those windows shut. So my son-in-law and I, we got underneath it and we managed to push the window up a little bit. There also was an AC unit in that window, sitting in on the windowsill. And by God's grace, it was held in place with one screw. So I took the AC unit, I pivoted it out of the way my son-in-law climbed in through the window and rescued his daughter. And our granddaughter thought this was all great fun <laughs> as the parents and the grandparents were all freaking out on, on the outside. Now, again, uh, we were very enthusiastic about getting into that room. That's not what we're talking about today. We're not talking about that kind of enthusiasm. Merriam-Webster's dictionary defines enthusiasm as a strong excitement about something. Okay, we had that. But it's also a strong feeling of active interest in something that you like or enjoy. It's a mindset that is positive and which eagerly anticipates and then finds joy in what is being done. Would you say that you are enthusiastic about life? Do you wake up in the morning enthusiastic, ready to tackle the day? Does that describe you? Maybe not on every day, but most days. I want to suggest to you this morning that living this life with enthusiasm is possible. And the key to doing it is to hold in your mind some of the grand themes of Scripture, the kind of themes that we find there can result in a life that is lived enthusiastically. And we can find these biblical themes all over Scripture, but I'm just going to go to one place and point out uh, a couple of them this morning. So if you have your Scriptures with you, you want to turn to Psalm 51 today, and uh, we're going to make a, a two or three observations of what we see there in this psalm that I think, if we recall them regularly, can help us to be enthusiastic people as we live our life for the Lord. So Psalm 51, and uh, we're going to just start with the first five verses. So they say this. 
Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Now, if you're familiar with this psalm, you know this is a psalm of King David. And it is written in a rather infamous time uh, in his life after his having committed adultery with Bathsheba. And if you're familiar with the story, uh, you can find it in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. You know that David spies out Bathsheba uh, from the rooftop, and um, he eventually goes on to commit adultery with her, while Bathsheba's soldier husband, Uriah, is away fighting in a war. And Bathsheba becomes pregnant, and after a couple of failed attempts to get Uriah to sleep with his wife to cover the pregnancy, David decides that he's going to kill Uriah, and the way he does that is he tells his commander, send Uriah to the front of the battle, and then withdraw. And they do that, and Uriah is killed. David effectively has murdered Bathsheba's husband. And the prophet Nathan knows this, and he challenges David on what he's done, and David's response to Nathan's challenge is found in this psalm. Now, in these first few verses, uh, David has come to realize the depth of his depravity, and he feels the weight of his sin. His sin is ever before him. It's not something that he can put out of his mind. He's conscious of how this sin has made him unfit for God's presence and for God's people. And he calls for God to wash away his sin and to cleanse him. And I think David appreciates the seriousness of his error because he sees that what he's done is not just a simple mistake. He hasn't just wronged a woman. He hasn't just um, brought judgment down on his household, but he sinned against God. And this is a fundamental truth that we have to remember, that whenever we sin, no matter how secret or how innocuous the sin might appear to us, we are always fundamentally wounding and hurting the Lord with our actions. God is always the one who feels the weight of our sin the most. And then finally, David has come to see that the reason he has sinned is not, it's not because of his upbringing, it's not some outside force working on him. In verse 5, he declares that he's been sinful since the time that his mother conceived him. He sees very clearly that his impulse to sin and his tendency to walk away from God is embedded in his very soul. It's always been there. That's the reason why he has done what he's done. He's without excuse. And in these first five verses, there's no better description, I don't think, of a heart that comes to grip with the fact that it is desperately wicked and without excuse. Now, this may sound like kind of a funny way to start a sermon on enthusiasm, but I wanted to point out a couple of things here. 
uh, at the outset. The first is this. We are in the middle of a series on positivity, and I, I, I don't know if Kyle has mentioned this or not, but I'll say it here. It is possible to be too positive. Uh, the Atlantic Magazine has recently run an article where they talk about this, and the author calls it a toxic positivity. That's a positivity that basically looks at the world, and there's never anything wrong with it. Uh, we never see anything wrong. Everything is great. There's no problem. Uh, we're just kind of living in la-la land. And that kind of positivity uh, and that kind of enthusiasm is, is not the kind of positivity that we're talking about here. The kind of positivity that we want to talk about is the one that looks at the tough stuff of life, is not afraid to turn away from what is wrong, and can still find hope in the midst of that. Scripture always does that. It's one of the things I appreciate about God's Word. It doesn't sugarcoat the tough stuff. And that's what we see David doing here. He knows that he has messed up. And he's not afraid to call it. But then we want to remember as well, and this is the second thing, that there is no greater problem that we will have in this life than the one that David is dealing with right here. This inherent sin problem that we have that separates us from God. Scripture tells us that we are lost in our sin apart from God, standing under his judgment. And our righteousness can never be good enough to satisfy his holiness. And so we are truly lost in that state. It's literally a problem that we can't solve. And David in this psalm is coming to that realization. But what we're going to see is that even in the face of that big an issue, God has an answer. There is a way for us to face any challenge, even one as big as this one, because of the God that we worship. And I want to suggest to you this morning that we can live enthusiastically because we know that whatever is going to come, God has an answer for us. I love the story I was reading uh, recently that Heather Clark tells in the Christian News about an incident back in 2013 where uh, a tugboat was pulling a freighter uh, off the coast of Nigeria. And uh, there was a cook on board, his name was Harrison, and um, he was working away, or I think he was in his room actually, when he realized something was wrong because the tugboat started to sink. And to make a long story short, I don't know why it sank, but it basically flipped over and went upside down to the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. And this cook realized what was happening, and he was getting tossed around back and forth in this tugboat. And he realized that he needed to do something, so he groped his way. It's pitch dark, by the way. He can't see anything. And in the blackness, through the ice-cold water, he somehow finds a room that has a four-foot air pocket in it. And once he gets to that room, he feels around and he finds a bunch of mattresses and things to sit on, and he makes a little bit of a pile so that he can sit on above the level of the water, and he sits there. And the tugboat goes to the bottom of the ocean, and there he is. Now, can you imagine 
yourself in that position. He only had his boxer shorts on. That's all he was wearing. Sitting on his mattress, and you're in this air pocket at the bottom of an ocean. Well, Harrison happened to be a follower of Christ, and so he began to pray. And he actually began to recite some of the psalms that his wife had sent to him uh, the night before. Two and a half days later, some Dutch divers are going down on a recovery mission to the bottom of the ocean to get this tugboat off, and they hear this banging on the side of the boat. It's the cook who heard the divers. He grabbed a hammer and he started banging on the side of his cabin. And they rescued him. Can you imagine (laughs) 72 hours sitting there in the pitch dark in this air pocket? Could you be enthusiastic in that situation? (laughs) I don't think I could. But the point of it is this. God had an answer. In speaking to the Nigerian press afterwards, this cook said this, the rest of my life is not enough to thank God for this wonder. It is incredible. Incredibly, God had an answer. And so it is for us. No matter how high the mountain is that we need to climb, God has an answer. He had an answer for David. And he has an answer for us. No matter what the challenge is, we can face it. So we can find enthusiasm in that, I think, for the day. Let's keep reading, verses 6 to 12. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. This psalm would be pretty discouraging except for what David has just expressed here. This is a man who is weighed down in his guilt. He's done things he knows cannot be undone and which have resulted in disastrous consequences. And if you know the story, you know what those are. Again, you can read about them in 2 Samuel 12. But that's not what I want to look at here. What I want to notice is that David, in the depth of his sin, understands that his heart needs to be healed for God's glory to be seen in him. God needs to do a work within him. And so he calls for God to cleanse him. And he makes reference to hyssop, which is a plant that was used in, in, in ritual cleansing or maybe even treating someone who was infected. The imagery is quite deliberate. It's to emphasize the power of God's cleansing. In other words, no matter how fatal or how serious, God has the power to cleanse. And in a similar way, David asks that he might be washed whiter than snow. And I I love this image. It's an image of completeness. In other words, what David is asking for here is that he be cleansed so thoroughly that there's not the tiniest mark, there's not even the remnant of a stain. He is completely clean. 
because of God's work in his life. And that redemptive work is far beyond anything that we can accomplish because it's God that has to do it. It's God that needs to create the new heart. He's asking for a new heart, a changed heart, a new spiritual reality. Kind of the thing I think that Paul was asking for in 2 Corinthians 5 when he talked about how we are a new creation in Christ. New priorities, new attitudes, new values, and so on. And often we put this context of a new heart in, in reference to someone who is receiving Christ for the first time. Someone who has sensed their inherent sin, the way David was talking about here at the first part of the psalm, and who knows the need for cleansing and has come to believe and see that. And if that is true for you, then I want to call you to acknowledge your sin as David did, and ask God to cleanse you. I urge you, the way this happens is as we take Jesus as our Savior. We understand that this cleansing work is something that we all need. And that Jesus went to the cross to take our sin upon himself, to take the penalty of that sin, so that in faith we could come to believe in him and accept that work for us. When we choose to believe in him as Lord and Savior and invite him into our heart, we can be cleansed by the blood of Christ. And if you've not done that, I want to encourage you to do that right now by praying to receive Christ as your Savior. If you have already done that, then let's realize David speaks as someone who already knows God, but he knows he needs a cleansing work because of his sin in the moment. He asks for a renewal of a right spirit. He asks for something better than his reality. And I want to suggest again today that we can be enthusiastic because we know that no matter what our situation is, God can bring renewal. He can bring something fresh. He can bring something new again. He wants to do that. It's his nature to want to do that. And he wants to do it for each one of us. It doesn't matter how badly we've fallen or how far we need to come back. God can give us renewal. Um, I think we're probably feeling a bit of a need for that renewal right now. COVID has been kind of a long slog. And we've been in it for a long time. And I think we're ready for God to do a new work in our midst and in our lives. And I think we're ready to recognize the good things that God is doing, even in spite of something like this pandemic that has been with us since as long as we seemingly can remember. I was reading an account the other day by Teresa Vargas, who writes for the Washington Post, and she was writing a story about a, a man who moved his family to, I think, a rural area of northern Virginia in the States. He moved shortly after his brother got shot. He just wanted to find a better uh, living situation for his kids. And he was on Facebook one day, and he posted a question for this, on this Facebook page, which I guess was for the people in a neighboring uh, area. And he asked, what are some positive things 
that have happened to you because of COVID. And it was interesting, some of the, re, the, um, the responses that he got. One person read, I've been having the best time with my four-year-old. I never thought of myself as a good mother, but this isolation has brought us so close together. Somebody else wrote, I successfully grew a tomato. <laughs> Somebody said, we have a swing set in our backyard now. I might add, uh, referring back to my initial story, I can now add uh, breaking and entering in, as a new skill. Uh, somebody wrote, before COVID, I just got up late, I ran around in a panic, usually in a bad mood or at least sad, endured a road rage filled commute and arrived at the office late. Now, I wake up and think, oh, I woke up again. And then I go out to my balcony amidst the pine trees and the chirping birds and the rising sun. The original fellow who posted the question on Facebook uh, makes the observation that when something is destroyed, you have an opportunity to build something new. And his comment was, COVID has kind of done that for us. It has taken our original life apart and given us an opportunity to rebuild something new, something different, something better. He says, look at the afterward. History tells us there is always an afterward. And I want to suggest to you this morning, we can be enthusiastic because with God, there is always an afterward. God can send us renewal, no matter what the challenges, no matter what the changes. God can always be shaping for us a new and a better reality as we surrender ourselves to him. One last thing, and I'll close with this. Let's read the rest of the psalm, starting in verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Let me point out just one last thing. David is anticipating in these verses a renewed walk with God. I think he's, he's recovering his enthusiasm again for life after his disastrous behavior. And now that his heart has been made right, he's actually taken the focus off of himself and now started to think about others. He anticipates leading others in the way of salvation and holiness. He declares that he will teach other transgressors the ways of God and that other sinners can return to God because of him. David, I think, was looking for an answer for his transgression, but he ends up realizing that he is now in a position to bless others. 
And I think what we see here is an, is an occasion for tremendous hope for each of us. No matter how far we have fallen, no matter how far we need to come back, uh, there is still an opportunity for us to live fruitfully, to live productively, for God to still use us. I wonder if you've ever felt like you have disqualified yourself from usefulness in God's kingdom. Have you ever felt that way? What David's example shows us and what he reminds us of is no matter how far we have fallen, God stands ready to restore us. Not just to a place of forgiveness, but to a place of productiveness, to a place of fruitfulness. David anticipates the day. And he's not excusing what he's gone through by saying this, but he anticipates because of who God is that the time will come when God will use him to bless others because of his experience. And I want to suggest to us again this morning that we can be enthusiastic about life because God has designed us to be fruitful for his glory and he will get us there if we surrender ourselves to him. So let me close with, with two quick thoughts. First, we've seen that a life lived with enthusiasm is possible as we seek strength, renewal, and effectiveness in God. Psalm 51 kind of demonstrates that for us. But it comes in a vibrant relationship with him. So I have to ask this morning, is there anything in your life that you need to get right with God so that you can experience this vibrant, enthusiastic life with him? Is there anything that is a barrier to your relationship with God and to his blessing in your life? Could it be that you're not experiencing this kind of life because there's something that you need to surrender to God? There's some activity that you need to, to let go, that you need to release in order to know God's blessing. If you sense that that is true for you, then I want to encourage you to surrender that right now. Think of what you're missing. This enthusiastic, vibrant life. This positive life with God. Let that other stuff go. And choose instead a close walk with Him. And then secondly, um, just be more enthusiastic. <laughs> Find a way to build more enthusiasm into your walk with God. I'm not sure what that looks like for you. Maybe that means serving in a new way. Maybe that means taking a course that you uh, were always too afraid to take. Maybe that means having a conversation with someone that, that you know you need to have. Um, maybe ta tackling that part of your life that you know needs work. Like whatever. Just take a step towards greater enthusiasm in life. Affirm your confidence in God's plan. Believe that in Christ, you're equal to the challenges you will face. Don't let your past failures take you out of the game. 
And just know that as you do that, enthusiasm will come and God will use you for great things for his glory. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this psalm and for David's example of a man who was willing to declare his sin and then seek your blessing. Lord, help us to do that. Forgive us when we choose sin over your plan. And then give us the gift of faith to believe in the certainty of your blessing. Help us to live boldly and courageously, to embrace new things, to live with confidence, to be enthusiastic for life and for what you're doing. Use us to bless others and help them to see that Jesus is truly the one in whom there is life, both enthusiastic and abundant and everlasting. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.